Hi, I'm Donnie. I am not the head pastor at West Hills Church. I am the director of student ministry and media, so I just get paid to do Facebook. So I'm grateful that you're here with us this morning. Um, and I'm grateful to West Hills for letting me preach this Sunday. I bet you're as nervous as I am about what I'm going to say. Because um, I really, as the youth know, I could really just go anywhere. Um, so, but I'm grateful they're here and they're supporting me. I'm grateful that the church family has been so supportive over this past week. Um, yeah, so thank you for giving your director of student ministry this opportunity. This morning, we're actually just going to continue our series in Mark, rooted in this gospel. Mark is a book in the second half of the Bible. That's called the New Testament. And this section of the Bible is dedicated to telling people about what it is and what it means that Jesus, this guy who's existed for all eternity, has stepped down to be with us here in the real world on earth. Um, Mark specifically is, is concerned with the history of the life of this guy called Jesus um, in these books called the gospel. The gospel just means good news. And it's good news. Um, we'll unpack why it's good news today. Um, so we'll discover why it's good news a little bit later. Um, but because our time is limited, I'm not going to spend too much time on like, what Mark is and all that stuff. We're going to get right into our story. So if you have a Bible with you, just look for the second half in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 18 through 28. The words will be on the screen the whole time, but there's something cool about having it right here in your hands. So find it. That's chapter 2, verses 18 through 28. That's where we'll be hanging out, so put your finger there. Um, but first, let's pray, because <laughs> I'm nervous. Uh, God, thank you for God's people, your people coming together this morning, braving the rain. Um, I'm just grateful for West Hills and their dedication to you and who you are. I pray this morning that your word would come out from me, not my word, and that people would turn and be in closer relationship with you and love you more deeply because your word is preached and that people feel close to your son after this. But God, thank you for saving us and drawing us to you and coming near to be with us. It's in his holy name we pray, amen. Before we get there, first I have a story for you. Uh, the summer before I came to St. Louis, I worked at a small, not small, at a very large camp in Indiana called Spring Hill. You might have actually heard about it because they travel all around pretty much everywhere. And at this camp in Indiana, I met my best friend, Samuel Janes, and I. We actually have a picture of us. <laughs> this is me and Samuel. <laughs> um, we don't get to see each other very often, but he and I are absolutely uh, best friends. He's married, and he's busy, and lives in Lexington, and I don't get to travel there very much. And I have been a full-time student for the past four years, but Samuel uh, came up this past week for my graduation. And so when he was here and he was with me, things were different for each of us. When he came, my priorities changed because of the depth and importance of our relationship. When he's here, my time reflects that I'm in relationship with him. We do things that I would normally not do, like go to salt and smoke, um, hang out, laugh just for hours and hours and hours where I would rather do productive things. I decided no Samuel's here in my my life's going to reflect the relationship that he and I have together. And it was my pleasure to change my schedule because of his presence in my life. 
how I interacted with the world was much different because Samuel was here and he chose to come to be with me. My actions reflected that he and I are in, are in relationship with one another. And when he was with me, things changed. And when something new came into the picture, like his visit from Kentucky, things were radically different for me. And it was my pleasure to accommodate those changes. And I actually trust that this is true for you as well. If you're married, how you live your life demonstrates or should demonstrate that you have sworn in covenant to somebody. Like, I'm going to be dedicated to this person. Uh, How you interact with the world should be demonstrably different because of your relationship with your spouse. That's just true. Or with your boyfriend or girlfriend, husband, wife, best friend, sister, brother. Your relationships and your nearness to those people define how you interact with the world around you. And those relationships change you. When you're with people who've changed everything for you, things change. That's true of you being with your loved ones. That's true of couples who are married, parents who have children. And that's true of what we'll find in our text this morning as well. Mark chapter 2 generally is about what it means to be with Jesus. Before we get to 18 through 28, We see Jesus healing paralytics, going to be with broken people. Before we get to 18 through 28, we see Jesus sitting down to dine with sinners, people who society had pushed away. Jesus is like, I'm going to go and be with those people. We also see that Jesus calls people, his disciples. The intention of Jesus is clear that he has come here to be with his people. And 18 through 28 is, is not dissimilar to that. This is the ongoing narrative of Mark is that Jesus is here and he's come to be with you. He's come to be with his church. And we'll see that people, that God's people act much differently than if Jesus wasn't here. We'll find that being near with Jesus changes things. It changed life for the paralytic it changes life for the sinners who were social pariahs and pushed out of society. It changed the life of Levi, who was called to be Jesus' disciple. And Jesus' nearness changes our lives too. And I think that's what 18 through 28 is about this morning. And, but before we even begin our study, we're going to frame it all with one big question. And then we'll ask small questions as we go along the way. But the big question I'm going to ask this morning, and you can sort of keep on your mind as we read through the story, is what does it mean for the people of God to be with Jesus? What does it mean for the people of God, that's you and that's me, people who go to church and love Jesus, what does it mean for the people of God to be with Jesus? Really, really simple question, but has awesome implications if we believe it and live like it. So join me in reading Mark 2, 18 through 28. It's a big chunk, um, but we're going to get through it and we're going to learn a lot from it this morning. So it'll be on the screen or it'll also be in your Bible. I'm reading also from the English Standard Version, if that matters for anybody. A question about fasting. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people come and said to him, 
Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Let me get to our second one, where Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry about those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of God. So what we see in these two stories, one about fasting and one about keeping something called Sabbath law. As we read scripture, church, we should be looking for what is the commonality that ties all of these things together. What here can I understand? What's the ongoing narrative? So this common thread, I think, is about when Jesus comes near to us, things change. Really simple. But Jesus' coming near, obviously from our text this morning, wasn't so exciting for everybody. Why would it be? Right? You see, these people who were there at the time, called Pharisees, who were just really, really important Jewish people who made a bunch of rules for people to be holy, they said that you couldn't do certain things on certain days. Like There were days that you fasted, and there were days that you couldn't pluck grain. So this Sabbath day is this Jewish day of rest that God himself instituted, saying this is a day where you are supposed to rest. But these people called Pharisees were saying... Well, here are all these rules to make sure you can rest. (laughs) And that doesn't work. I don't know anybody who feels more rested when they're burdened down or by by tremendous amounts of rules upon rules upon rules. I know that's not the case for me, at least. When there are a hundred rules to keep, I do a terrible job of keeping any of them. Just ask anybody I've ever worked under. Ask Will. So. But this was the deal. Like... The original intention with the Pharisees was that, I mean, with the Sabbath, was that people would rest on this day and they would think about how cool God is. That's what the Sabbath is for, rest and reflection. Um, But for the rules, there was no rest involved. But both stories demonstrate something that we think, I think we have to pay attention to. That Jesus has come near and this person the Jews have been waiting for, called the Messiah, is, is happening now in this person called Jesus. The Messiah was someone 
almost every book in the Old Testament talks about saying this person is going to come and he's going to deliver us from our sins and he's going to save us from death and he's going to come now and he's going to change things for us. And Christians believe because of the New Testament and the testimony of Jesus that Jesus is that Messiah, but the Pharisees don't believe that. Where there were rules to abide by, that the Pharisees have instructed the people, God's people, to do all the time. Jesus has come now to be with us, and the people who are in relationship with Jesus are expected to act differently. Where there were rules, now Jesus is bringing grace. Where there were all of these things that you and I have to do to be holy, Jesus says, no, the people of God are no longer identifying by the keeping of rules. The people of God are identified by me and who I am. You are God's people because you're close to Jesus, not because you keep rules. So as we begin our study, you'll see on your handout, we're going to ask some big questions just to pick apart the text and understand what the Lord has for us. So let's begin with question one and see what God has for us this morning. Question one, what were the Pharisees upset about? Pretty simple question. Let's look at verses 18 and 24. In 18 it says, now John and his disciples were fasting and some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not. That's verse 18. In verse 23 through 24, it says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pluck some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, they are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Verses 18 and 23 through 24 show us that there are rules that people are expected to abide by that there are institutions that these Jewish people, the, uh, the Pharisees, have put in place and that everyone were expe- everybody was expected to follow those rules because in the minds of the Pharisees, that is what makes you holy. If you can perfectly abide by the law of God, then you're a holy person, right? And, and they put these rules around the law of God so nobody would even come close to breaking God's law. Like people were expected to fast and, and if people, when people should and shouldn't pluck grain. These rules, the Pharisees thought, kept people holy because it kept them from breaking God's law. But when people lose control of things or how they think things should be, people get upset. To the Pharisees, the rules that were being broken meant that people weren't acting in a holy manner. It means that when you've broken these rules, now you've literally broken off your relationship from God. Where all these rules were the things that kept you in God's good graces, the breaking of those rules, like not fasting and plucking grain, made you out of relationship with the Lord. And so you can understand why the Pharisees are upset. We can really sympathize with the Pharisees here. When your children break rules, do you get angry? (laughs) You'd be upset as well if someone came down and said, all these rules, get out, no. When my youth kids do stupid or silly things, it's like, come on. (laughs) We can really sympathize on a human level with these people. That you and I have rules we expect to abide by. You and I have rules that we expect the whole world to abide by. But when those things are gone, 
We get upset. Really simple. And it's really human. You and I love our control. (laughs) You and I love when we are the head of our own households. But now Jesus has come and he's the one who's in control. And the people who follow him get to lose control of their lives. When the Pharisees might have put everything into neat lines, Jesus comes into the world and changes a lot of things. Not the least of these was the, were the rules of the Pharisees. Now people didn't have to fast on a certain day because rules don't make you God's people. Jesus makes you God's people. Jesus makes you God's people. That doesn't sound right in my head. Where, where people were not expected to pluck grain on the Sabbath, the day where you're supposed to keep all the rules perfectly, Jesus says, eat up. Things change because I'm here. These antiquated rules of the Pharisees, rules not present in Scripture itself, are no longer the thing that sets God's people apart. When Jesus came to save people from, the sin, from their sins, from, from the need to keep rules, the categories of the Pharisees explode. We'll see later But part of this mission of Christ is to tell you and to tell me and to tell God's people, hey, you you are saved by me. And while there's obedience in loving me, keeping rules does not make you mine. You are free from the idea that you have to be good enough. You are free from work, salvation. You are free from the idea that rules make you gods. Because if you love Jesus, then it's Jesus that makes you gods and not rules. And that's important. We're not God's people because we're rule keepers. Our obedience comes from his great love. We're not loved because we're obedient. We're loved because he loves us. End of story. That's paradigm shifting and world changing, crazy talk to the Pharisees. So Jesus explodes their categories and explodes ours. (laughs) So why were the Pharisees upset? Answer one, because Jesus was changing how people are interacting with the world around them. You'd be upset too if someone changed all the rules in your household. I've been in some of your households and I try and abide by the rules. You'd be upset if Jesus changed those rules. (laughs) It's more than just, Jesus is here, i got to be a good person. That doesn't save you. If you are compelled to be a good person, just being a good person isn't good enough. The, The presupposition of the gospel is that you're a bad person because you sin against God. But Jesus loves you desperately. And out of his love, he saves and chooses you. And so when we read these stories about Jesus exploding the categories of the Pharisees, changing the rules all together, we have to take a second and ask, how have I been changed by Jesus? Or have I been changed by Jesus? Does Jesus, on a bigger level than just your life, like I pray in the morning before meals, that's all great, but on a bigger level, Does Jesus change how you interact with institutions? I I, I intend to make no political comments, so don't take these all. Does Jesus change how you vote? 
Or does knowing Jesus change how you love people who are far off from him? Does knowing Jesus affect how you think about immigrants? Does knowing Jesus affect how you give your money, your time, or other resources? Jesus doesn't come into our life to make us happy. If you follow Jesus for more than a day, you'll find that happiness isn't the gospel altogether. Jesus comes into our life, changing our lives, and just like in our, te- in our text this morning, changes how you and I interact with the world around us. It changes how we vote. It changes how we think about people who are far off. It changes how parents parent. It changes how we give our money. It changes how we give our free time. It changes who we invite into our home. Are you inviting sinners into your home to hope they better come and know Jesus? That's something I'm challenged with. (laughs) I'm guilty of not understanding the gravity of what it means that Jesus has come and he has changed things altogether. My categories are exploded. And I suspect maybe you're guilty as well. (laughs) We're human, we're fallen, we don't get the full picture. I'm actually really guilty. I am not patient with people like Jesus is patient with me. In this way, Jesus is still changing me. My dad, I love him so much. But he's done a lot of harm to my family. It's easy for me to get very short with him. And I, and I admit to you that I ignored a phone call from him from prison this week. <laughs> I was, it, was, it was 8.30. I should have been up. I turned around, saw the phone call. Nope, hit the snooze button. I got, I'm going to sleep more. And Jesus says, you, you're going to go to prisoners. And I ignored a prisoner. <laughs> Jesus demonstrably hasn't changed a part of my life. Gosh, <laughs> that's a heavy burden. One of the reasons I have to keep reminding myself is that Jesus says, you're going to go to prisoners and you're going to tell them about love and grace and about how Jesus changes things. So one of the reasons, even though I kick myself for ignoring that phone call this whole week, I still try really, really hard, even in my sin, to stick around for my dad, who doesn't know Jesus, my mom, who doesn't know Jesus, and my family, who was in town last week, who don't know Jesus. I I fully admit to you that sometimes I'd rather just Samuel and his wife and just to hang out with my friends, Anna and Nathan, I would would rather hang out with you guys and often have my family come into town because they're burdensome. And I feel life when I'm with God's people, but Jesus doesn't say the burden goes away. He says the burden is light. And it's light because Jesus is the gift. And we get to give that to people. My dad's not just some dude who makes bad decisions. He is that, (laughs) but he's not just that. He's someone Jesus loved and by the power of the Holy Spirit could save. (laughs) And Jesus hasn't changed my heart enough to interact with my dad and the reality of that truth. And that's hard for me. (laughs) But Jesus is slowly changing. I'm slowly giving more time to my dad. Just like in our story this morning, Jesus changes how we interact with the world around us. He changes it for the disciples, and he changes it for you, and he changes it for me. He changed, There are no rules anymore. There's grace. 
You're God's people because of Jesus, not because of your rules. How has Jesus changed how you interact with the world? How has Jesus changed how you interact with the world around you? How has Jesus' love changed how you love people who are lost? Do you dine with sinners or invite them into your home? I'm guilty that I don't do that. I need the sermon just as much as you do. In our text, the standard for what it means to be God's people has changed, and now to be God's people, you have to be with Jesus. And that means things are different for the lives of believers. Things are changed. We are a changed people, redeemed and saved and sealed by his grace, not by the rules you keep. That's rest, church, (laughs) rest in that. Because every other part of this world asks you to meet a standard to be good enough. That's not my Jesus. That's not yours either. I pray that that gives you some rest this morning. And that brings us to question two. Another simple question. Why are things different? (laughs) We've kind of talked about it already, actually. But let's read what the Bible has to say about it. (laughs) Verses 19 through 22 reads, Jesus answered them, How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is here with them? They cannot, as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on the old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst, the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And then in 25 through 28, he answered him. This is after he's like, why are they eating on the Sabbath? This is what he says. He says, have you read what David did when he was with the companions and they were hungry and in need? In the days of the high priest, they went in and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions as well. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Pretty simple. Kind, Jesus, concise responses. No anger detected, not aggressive, simple words. This is just the truth. The two wineskin parables, I've, it took me a long time to understand this, I still don't, illustrate the fact that you can't mix old religious rituals with new faith in Jesus Christ. You can't put new wine into old wineskins because the wineskins burst. I don't understand the chemistry of that, but it happens. So these rituals just don't work. They don't make us holy. The keeping of the rules don't make you holy. Things are different because the Lord is here, and now that Jesus has come to be with his people, things are different. Now we're not God's people because we fast once a week. We're God's people because of Jesus, which is great. Being Lord of the Sabbath just means that Jesus is in charge. He's like, I'm the one who's in charge. I can change the rules. There's a lot of depth to that, but simply understanding it is that Jesus is in charge. When he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Jesus was saying, just as the original Sabbath day had fully intended, that this day was supposed to give you rest from your labor. You're not supposed to be so stressed out. So the keeping of a trillion rules probably isn't helping you reflect on how cool God is to you (laughs) or how great God is to his people, right? I I feel burdened by rules. I'm just uh, too free of a spirit, I guess. (laughs) 
the institutions the Pharisees made made it seem like we're saved by our works, Jesus is saying, nope, not true. Sorry, buddy. And that Jesus actually has this healing, real rest. Because he doesn't make you live up to standards. He makes you his by his grace. And that's something so new to these Pharisees. Not, not incredibly new. It's always been through the whole story of the Bible that it's God's grace alone that saves his people. End of story. But these Pharisees had a clouded understanding and thought that that grace meant that convincing people that your works are the things that set you free. But it's not. So Jesus is here and he's bringing something new. That's the new wine and old wineskins. Jesus takes these rituals of the Pharisees and makes them obsolete because we can't be saved by our works. I hope you're getting that. We can't be saved by these works. These rituals don't keep us. We're not kept by rituals. The reason things are changing is because Jesus is here. Simple question, not a hard test. Why are things different? Oh, because Jesus is here. This is monumental because Jesus isn't just some guy. The Jewish people, that's the people Jesus came from, were waiting for someone who would bring these promises that they heard about through the whole Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible. In this, in this first part of the Bible, everyone is saying, this new guy's coming. There's someone coming and he's going to save us from our sins. He's going to show you what it means to be God's people. That's called the Messiah. It just means special person. They were looking for someone who'd be their Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath. That's who the Jewish people were waiting for. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, Jesus is referring to this Old Testament figure in the book of Daniel that did some pretty crazy and miraculous things. And everyone was like, oh, that Son of Man, he's coming back. So when Jesus says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm God and I'm the person you've been waiting for, which is monumental. <laughs> because up until this point, between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, there had been 400 years of silence. God hadn't used prophets. Now, Jesus is here. And that's tough. <laughs> the Pharisees don't know how to understand that. And they were expecting this Jesus guy, this Messiah, they were expecting the Messiah to come and destroy things, to break down governments with an iron rod, to just like save Jesus' people and give him kingdom rule of the entire earth. John Mark McMillan has a son, has a song, he also has a son. John Mark McMillan has a song that sums up this nicely. It's called Baby Son, and he says, we thought you'd come with a crown of gold, a string of pearls, and a cashmere robe. We thought you'd clinch an iron fist and rain fire on the politics. But without sword, no armored guard, but common born in mother's arms, the government now rests upon the shoulders of this baby son. The person the Jews have been waiting for, the one who would save them from death, has come to the place where death reigns, and that's earth. Jesus didn't come with a cashmere robe or pearls or a sword or a huge army. 
He came as a common baby. John 1 details this incredible, incredible idea. John 1.14 says, And the word, word is just a fancy word for Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word dwelt, it just sounds like Jesus is coming to camp out on earth. This is much different. The word dwell is the Old Testament word for tabernacle. Jesus isn't just coming to like hang out for a little bit. He's coming to live in the presence and midst of his broken and sad, sinful people. Jesus is saying, I'm the temple and I'm coming to hang out with you guys. And when Jesus has come, if you believe in him, there's never a time where Christ isn't near to you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Finally, this person the Jews have been waiting for is here. And he's more than just here. He's near and he's with us and he's tabernacling with us. This Jesus who has come now remains with his people. There's never a time, no matter how strikingly difficult, dark, or abysmal your life gets, that if you are with Jesus... He does not draw near to you. There's never a time Jesus isn't drawing near to his people. In the story, when someone passes away, Christ draws near to his people. When we, when we lose someone important to us, like a child, Christ draws near to his people. When you've, when you've lost your job... Christ draws near to his people. There is never a time in your darkness, as difficult as this is, that Jesus isn't near and he's not with you. Like in a cancer diagnosis. There's never a time that Jesus isn't near and he's not with you. When things are difficult with your husband and there's a divorce that's imminent, there's never a time, if you are Christ, that Jesus is not with you. Life can be dark and painful. Christ never stops drawing near. When my grandmother was sick, Jesus drew near to me by his kindness of my youth pastor, Sean. When my my friend's son's autoimmune disease was coming back and he was worse than he's ever been, Jesus drew near to his people by sending his church. Jesus drew near by babysitting and giving him meals and loving them. When my friend's grandmother passed away, my family surrounded her with compassion, drawing near because we love her, because Jesus loves us. Jesus draws near to you and to me by the power of his Holy Spirit and through his church. That's you and that's, and that's me. Jesus can draw near to the people in your life who are far off through you. 
This is the missional part of the gospel, where when you have been saved, you are now on mission and now trying to draw lost people into what it means to know Jesus. That's where we invite sinners into our home. That's why sinners like us dine with sinners who don't know Jesus. That's where we raise our kids to sing church songs so they know who Jesus is through their whole life. And I admit to you that I'm still learning what it means that Jesus draws near because oftentimes I don't trust that he's close to me. But the testimony of scripture and by the power of his Holy Spirit, he says, I will never stop drawing near to you. There's nothing so big and so dark that Jesus can't cross over it or shine light in that darkness. So what has changed for you since Jesus has drawn near? Is your hope in the nearness of Christ or in a profession? I get a lot of hope when the second Friday of every month rolls around and I get paid. (laughs) Honestly. And I think you do too, probably. Finance can bring a lot of security. And there's there's goodness to being a good steward. I'm not saying that. But that can't be your hope. And your hope can't be your spouse, even though they can give you more hope in Christ. The mark of being part of the church is that your hope alone is in Christ Jesus. This guy who explodes the systems has come near to dwell with his people and, if you believe in him, never stops drawing near. In your depression, in your anxiety, in dark nights, Jesus is near. So the Pharisees were upset because Jesus is changing how people interact with the world and we see things that are different now because Jesus is on the scene. The person we've been waiting for is here. Which brings us to our last question. Why is Jesus here? <laughs> it's not a question that's honestly directly answered in the text, but it's here. What made Jesus step down from heaven to be with broken humanity? What made Jesus give up existing with God in perfection, knowing no pain, no anger, to come and step down and be murdered on a cross? And that's answer three. Jesus is here to bring something new. Jesus is here to bring something new. In Mark 2, 19 through 22, Jesus talks about this new wine. This new wine that's going to break apart old institutions. And it's new wine that he's bringing and has here. And now that he's with us, the new wine is abundantly flowing to everybody who would have him. But what is this new wine? It's Christ and and God's promise in Christ, the final promise to his people that Christ is coming and living a perfect, sinless life and dying on the cross for our sins and then rising on the third day to snatch the keys from death itself to release prisoners in their chains to come and follow him to live in new life no longer It's about being good enough. It was never about that. It's about grace. That's the new wine. When Christ comes to be with his people, things change. And the biggest change is that you and I are saved by his death and resurrection. That is part of the mission of Christ. You see, Scripture details a story that humanity is sinful and have willfully chosen to go against a perfect God. 
we disobey God every day, when we hate, when we're angry. Scripture tells us that you and I will die because we have sinned. God promises that to us. And that's something we chose ourselves. God promises the death that we invited on ourselves. And if we continue to sin, we'll just end up distant from God and we will suffer from eternity. The very thing we want when we choose our sin is distance from God. And God says, I'll give that to you. But the new thing is that now by the power of Christ's Holy Spirit, he says, you can walk away from your sin towards hope and towards life. The new thing Christ brings to us by being with us is the opportunity to know God and be saved from your sins. You and I have sinned against the perfect God and he has forgiven us. And changed people live by grace. No longer rules, just by grace. The new thing Christ brings is that his life and his death and his resurrection seal you securely for eternity. And nothing can move you from that truth. But you and I, by God's sovereignty and his Holy Spirit, can say, God, help me. And the Bible says, where you say, Jesus, I need your help, that's where the power of the Holy Spirit is. If you feel this morning that you'd like to be free from the burden of having to be good enough to be loved by someone, then I invite you to come and know the Jesus I know, and I have hours to talk to you about that. If you feel like there's burden in having to be good enough from every other aspect in the world, the biggest thing that Jesus did was break institutions apart and save his people by his death and resurrection and looks at you and says, I love you. Don't worry about being good enough. I love you. Changed people live changed lives. What has changed since Jesus has drawn near to you? What hope do you have now that Jesus continues to draw near all the time? It means now that if we believe we're saved by grace, our life should imitate that. The disciples stopped fasting. They stopped abiding by broken Sabbath laws. And they were living in the grace of what it means to belong to the people of God. Jesus' death and resurrection means you and I are perfectly chosen and loved by his grace alone. And his love is what saves us. And this morning, for this big idea, the takeaway, the thing that I want you to leave here with is a question. What does it look like for me and you to live like Jesus is with me? How do I live like Jesus is with me? Let it challenge you because I have no practical application. (laughs) In your own life, what does it mean that Jesus is with you? Does it mean you're more patient with your spouse or you love your kids a bit better or you pray over them before you go to bed? Does it mean you start evaluating maybe presuppositions you have about things? My dad, God bless him, had some tendencies that were maybe discriminatory towards other races, and my family is Mexican. So I was raised in a house where this idea of discrimination was fine. And it's not fine. And it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ that changed me to stop thinking about my extended family like they were aliens in my country 
to people who are perfectly loved by God and his grace in Jesus Christ. And that's the same for every race of people. Jesus loves them all so equally. And that changed when Jesus drew near to me and chose me. My ideas about the world changed. What changes for you?